As we take a look tonight in Numbers chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see two different things. I titled it The Rod and Responsibilities. I could have named it Testing and Tithing. I could also talk about His Divine Authority. There was lots of titles I could have attached to this tonight. But the rod and responsibility seems to be what I settled on. And as we go through here in chapter 17, 18, you will see. If you remember, we've come through, uh, <laughs> the people here, you know, so rebellious. And, and just, they know what God wanted them to do. They just didn't want to do it. They just refused to do it. And then they found themselves in deep trouble, especially with those who were then, not only didn't want to go into the, uh, the promised land and, and live for God and live where God wanted them to be, but they rebelled out of fear and out of just many things, and there was consequences. But then it didn't stop. If you remember, many started testing and coming against Moses' leadership, and uh, people died because they went against God's, uh, uh, God's leader. But we'll see here tonight that testing didn't conter- uh, stop. They, the people, even though they watched God literally take out people and swallow them up, and tribes uh, opened up the land and swallow them up, <laughs> you would think that would be enough to get your attention and say, you know, I should probably listen to God because there's consequences going against God. But no, that, when your heart is not right, you, 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 that even big big catastrophes will not change your heart. It may scare you, a good healthy fear of God's uh, doing judgment, but uh, it doesn't change your heart until you're ready to surrender and realize you need to change. Well, tonight it's the same thing. Not only was Moses challenged, but now we're going to see the people are going to challenge the priestlyhood of Aaron and his sons uh, that's part of a tribe of Levites. And we're going to see that that's going to be tested and God is going to deal with it. And, uh, and then, of course, with authority that he gives to Aaron and his sons as the priests, priesthood, uh, comes also responsibilities uh, that they must follow and God wants to keep in order. So in Numbers chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, we see that the Lord spoke to Moses. Again, God's saying this. This is not Moses saying this. This is not him coming up with his own little clever leadership style here in the congregation of Israel in the middle of the wilderness. No, this is God directing every step of Moses as a leader. And he says to them, speak to the children of Israel. So it's all Israel, not just some. And get from them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. So God's, again, going to be very clear of what his expectations are and, and who, is, who is, has roles and responsibilities within the nation of Israel. And he's going to deal with this uprising against Aaron as being the priestlyhood and who does the priest's work within the, uh, the tabernacle. And so he comes up with this testing command. He says, Moses, go and get a rod, a staff, from each leader of the tribes. So there's 12 tribes, 12, leader, 12 rods that are being brought in front, of, in front of him. And the one for the Levites, make sure it's Aaron's name that's written on that rod. Again, where do you see the rod noted in the scriptures? Well, the rod here is a symbol of authority. Give me the rod that represents each of the 12 tribes, Aaron being on the one for the Levi. And that's a symbol of authority because, remember, shepherds used a rod to guide and correct the sheep as a shepherd. We see that in Psalm, 1, or Psalm 23, verse 4. Moses, as a shepherd, clearly understood that because he was in the wilderness as a shepherd for 40 years. He understood what that meant and had a rod in his hand from the very beginning when God started using him, actually refining him in the wilderness, being a shepherd, 
Now when he's now in the position of authority to, to, to lead God's people, he had that same rod, that same staff in his hand. And that rod was attending to the sheep of the wilderness, we saw in Exodus 4.2. But then it became a rod known as the rod of God, or the symbol of authority that God gave to Moses in Exodus 4.20. Where else do we see the importance of this authority? Well, right through Exodus, starting in Exodus 7, we see that this same rod demonstrated Moses' authority in action. Remember the miraculous changing of that rod and and he threw it down it turned into a serpent and then it came right back to a rod? Remember that? To show Pharaoh that God is in control? Can you imagine that scene? And then after that, we see the turning of the waters of the Nile into blood. It brought forth plagues of of frogs and lice and hail and locusts. All of that was from the command of that rod that God used. God commanded Moses to raise the rod over the Red Sea, and it parted the Red Sea, if you remember. The rod was involved in that. To show God's authority and who was doing that work. The rod was also raised up in prayer over Israel in victorious battles in Exodus 17.9 when the enemies were coming after him in the wilderness. God used that to Moses to lift up his hands with that rod. And remember, and his two sidekicks came and helped lift up his, their arms to keep it up during the battle. The rod that struck the rock. And brought forth water to water the nation of two plus million people in the wilderness. That rod was what was God told him to strike the rock. The rod is a picture of God's authority over man. Psalm 2.9. It's many places. Isaiah 10.24. Ezekiel 20.37. There's many places where we see that the rod is a picture of God's authority. Jesus also, if you remember, is divine authority, is given the title, the rod. We see that in Isaiah 11.1 and Micah 6.9. The rod is also an emblem of the apostles' authority in the church. We see that noted in 1 Corinthians 4.21. So historically, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see clearly that God said the rod is a symbol of authority, and whoever he gives that rod of that position of authority, that is it because he has chosen. Not the people, but God. And so here he's gathering these rods from representation of each of the tribes, And he says, write their name on it. What happens next in verse 4? Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So he says, I'm using this as a way to test to make it very clear to everyone Who puts who in positions of authority? And and when they complain and murmur and complain and, and try to rise up and take over authority, they're not messing with you. They're messing with me, God, who appointed you there. That's who you're really messing with when you mess with God's leaders. And he says, we're going to have a nice little uh, demonstration. (laughs) Because obviously, me just talking is not enough for you. So we're going to give you a little demonstration that who is in control and assigning who will be in charge. I love this. God, sometimes people will just use your simple word to tell you what his command is for your life. And if that doesn't get you, he always brings a demonstration of his authority over your life as a child of God, and you are not going to like it. Many times you're not going to like his visual demonstrations to let you know who's in charge. And so what happens here, he says to bring them in, put them in the tent, in the tabernacle, lay all 12 of those rods in there, and, uh, and I'm going to make one of those blossom, and the one I choose to make blossom is the one that's going to be in charge. Not only would this be an obvious, miraculous sign for the people. The blossoming of a dead wood turning to a fruitfulness of blossoming on this wood that's dead. 
But that's how God does things. A miraculous fruitfulness is always present when godly authority and leadership is being practiced. Let me say that again. If there is godly authority and leadership being practiced within the congregation, there's miraculous fruitfulness that will be shown and seen among the, that congregation. See, what happens is, is he says, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get rid myself of the complaints. We know by the scripture that after this event, the people still complained and murmured. <laughs> and, but what God is saying here is, I'm going to take every excuse away. And so if they continue to murmur and complain, I have just absolutely going to deal with that directly. I'm not going to be patient with them any longer. I'm giving them enough time. It's now it's time for me to act. And they're going to reap the consequences of murmuring and complaining against God's leaders and against God's people. And murmurs and complainers are rarely satisfied by events. When someone has a critical spirit and they're always murmuring and complaining, it doesn't matter even if you resolve one issue. Complainers are never or not issue motivated. Typically, complainers are not. They're not issue motivated. They just use that as a way to display their complaining and murmuring. But what you have to understand is it's not an issue. It's usually it's only involving a heart that is not right with God. That's why people murmur and complain. Is a heart motivated that is not right with God. That is the issue. Not the issue that they're complaining about. They murmur because they have a complaining and discontented heart. They're not content. The complaining heart is demonstrated when people murmur about one issue. And once that issue is done, they turn around and just find another issue to complain about. And it goes on and on and on and on. The heart is not right. They need to get right with God and solve that problem. And that's what the problem with the people were here. They were just constantly murmuring, complaining, and even though they were, God dealt with it, it did not matter. They just moved right on and looked for someone else to, to, uh, to move their complaints and murmuring against or situations. It's just the way they are until their hearts changed by God. When they surrender their life to God. And then we see in verses 6 and 7. We see that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. Just like he was supposed to. And each of the leaders. And he asked them to give me the rods. And let's put this. Uh, let's do what God said. And then when you get to eight and verses 8 and 9. It says now it came to pass on the next day. That Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold the rod of Aaron. Of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the, the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. Now, can you imagine? Give me each of your rods. I'm putting them in here, and God's going to, one of them's going to blossom, and then we'll find out when, uh, when that happens, we'll find out who's supposed to be in leadership. Just to confirm, so you know exactly who God has appointed. And they all gave the rods, right? Can you imagine? Think about, you're one of the leaders going, here, I wonder if it's me. You know which one it is. You know if it, God's been working in your heart or not. But they put the rods in there, and all of a sudden, they goes, you know, he goes in there. And when he goes in there, Moses finds that, of course, the Aaron, the rod of Aaron, the tribe of Levite, was blossomed. I like, I, sometimes I read this, and I said, Surprise? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like he's been the high priest. It's been already chosen. God has already anointed him, already demonstrated, already using him, already doing miraculous things. Why would this be needed to have happen? But God knew that these people had to one last time be very clear. And notice this. God said that he's going to make the rod blossom. But notice the details here in the scripture. Not only was the rod blossomed, and had buds on it, but notice the detail. It produced, um, not only just sprouted, but it also produced blossoms, and it yielded almonds. Not just almonds, but ripe almonds. 
So God, God said, you, come on, partake of the fruit. That's how, that's how clear he made it. Now that, he's like, oh, okay, great. But think about this. This was dead wood placed in a tent, not even in the sun. Overnight, it went from dead wood to producing ripe almonds. That's how miraculous this is. If that doesn't open your eyes of what God was saying, that Aaron is going to be the priestly leader, you've got to be absolutely stone cold dead in your heart. Hard heart to not accept that. And then we see that the scripture continues. God's chosen leaders that brought them these rods, he now takes them out to then give to them to show them. It's interesting because God's chosen leaders will have godly character according to, as we see in the New Testament, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. It wasn't a contest as we see with Aaron or even in the New Testament for selecting pastors. It is not that you were looking for perfect men. Aaron wasn't perfect. It only matters if God had a calling on his life and he selected him and showed him a calling on his life to lead people spiritually. That's what mattered. And in the New Testament, we see God chooses that not through a rod, but through godly characteristics noted in the scripture. Do these men have a calling and do these have these men have these godly characters? That's what determines, not perfection before you uh, to be up to be a leader for God. So Aaron had not and would not be a perfect man. That's not what God was determining here. He was just determining a calling on his life. And also we notice that he, he wasn't sinless. He, wasn't, uh, he, he could have failed significantly possibly. But God's chosen leaders, even though they may fall, they may fail, they may not be perfect. And that's why uh, you know when you look at the Roman Catholics, and you see that they had this idea of pabble or pastoral infallibility that they call for their, their leader. That's not scriptural because he's not a perfect man. The Pope is not a perfect man. The, the priests are not perfect men. It's not, they're not uh, pastoral infallibility. They're a, a, they're a sinner that needs to be saved by the grace of God. Just like we, as a, any pastor or any leader, or anyone who needs to be saved by grace. But here we see this dramatic scene of these rods, and we see that God made it very clear in verse 9 or 10 11. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. He called them out. The reason why I'm doing this is because I got a bunch of rebellious people against, coming against me and, and the, my leaders. And you may put their complaints away from me. I don't want to hear this again, Moses. I don't want to hear these complaints, right? Lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So imagine, he brought these rods out. These 12 leaders came. But notice back in, we, in verses 8 and 9, all of Israel saw the results of what who God selected. So it was no, this wasn't some little secret deal and some arrangement behind the scenes of who we want to vote in and positions of leaders. All these crazy things like a, some organization that happens in churches today. That is not how it works according to the scripture. But according to man, that, that's always how they do it. So they make it very clear who's in leadership. They make it clear, I'm saying don't complain and murmur against what I'm doing here among my people. And if you do, there's consequences. And he said in verses 9 and 10, you're going to surely die. <laughs> you're complaining and murmuring, it's going to lead to death. God made it very, very clear. And so thus Moses told, just as the Lord said and commanded, just as they did. Now, if God demonstrated his choice of Aaron and his descendants as the priests of Israel, many people, we handled this earlier on in, in, in the book of Hebrews, if you're along with us on Sundays, 
How can Jesus be the high priest then if it only can come through Aaron and his lineage? We see that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Well, we know because Jesus didn't come from the lineage of Aaron, he came from what? The order of Melchizedek. That is how he is able to be the high priest, Hebrews chapter 7. And you can go back and study and listen to those teachings there on Sunday. Now, what did they do with that special rod that Moses had, or, this, or, the, or the, I should say the rod that Aaron's name was written on? Well, we know in the scripture, God says, I want to use that as a museum piece for everyone to know from this point forward. Do you know where that is? Well, we see it in the Ark of Covenant, right? He, it, God preserved three items of showing the rebellion and failure of the people of Israel to remind them of their shortcomings. God looks down from heaven into that ark, and what does he see? He saw the emblems of Israel's sin. What were they? The tablets of the law, the two tablets. The law that they broke, he has those in the Ark of the Covenant. The second item was manna, and that was because they complained about God's provision for them. That was a reminder. And then now Aaron's rod is meant to answer the rebellious hearts that were coming against what God was doing. Again, broke the law, not following God's commandments, complaining what God provided for them in the wilderness, and then rebelling about God and how he was using leaders for that. All three of those things, God says, let me just give you a reminder in the Ark of the Covenant. And why is that important? Because the covering of the blood of the sacrifice was applied to the Ark of the Covenant on the lid so that it would be a reminder of Israel's sin and that God has saw that the blood covering of the sin brought atonement to allow them to have a relationship with God. Guess what? Even today... People complain and don't want to follow God's, God's word. We see people do not want to uh, uh, be thankful for how God is providing for them. And they just complain all the time about not getting what they want and when they want it. And we also see the sin, the fact that they're always rebellious against what God is doing. And you don't like because I don't like it. Even though it's God's word, I don't like it. So these kinds of things still plague even people today. But it's a reminder that Jesus' blood will cover your sin and give atonement for you to have a relationship with God. If you will repent and trust in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. It's a beautiful Picture for us and as a reminder. In verse 12 and 13 we see, So the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? I mean, it's almost like a, like this emotional, oh. They should come to that point, shouldn't they not? Yeah, how many times does God have to show you, you come against me, you die. You come against my leader, you die. You come against the priestlyhood that I've appointed, you're going to die. You murmur and complain, you're going to die. How many times, and now they get to this point, the children have realized you've swallowed up tribes, you have taken out the two, the, 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 the 14,000 plus people, that uh, 14,700 of those who had the plague because they were complaining. I mean, it goes on and on and on. No wonder here in verses 12 and 13, the children of Israel start saying, surely we're going to be next. We're all going to die. Because they know their hearts. They know they've been part of the complaining. They know they're about just going against God. And every time God tries to show grace and mercy to them, they still complain and murmur and coming against them. So it brought them to the point where, oh, we're perishing, man. We're gone. We're toast. God's coming down. God's going to take us out. It is only a matter of time. It's called hysterical fear. <laughs> Draw a dramatic event. But you know what's interesting? All of that dramatic drama of complaining and rebelliousness and what God is about to think they think that God's going to do to them. And God was going to take them out, remember. But who interceded? Moses. Moses still interceded for them. And Aaron interceded for them to say, God, no, please don't wipe out your children. 
even with all of that, their heart still didn't change. Heart can only change, not through events. It can shake you. It can open your eyes. But only the heart has to be changed by God. It's, it's a surrender to him and let him change your heart. That's the only way you're, you're going to change your life. Now we go here in Numbers chapter 18. We see the responsibilities of the priests and the Levites who are, God just demonstrated, are in charge of the tabernacle and the spiritual needs of the nation of Israel. It says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house, you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. You and your sons with you bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. That basically is saying, you've got responsibilities being in a position of authority and you have to take those responsibilities and you need to follow through with these responsibilities. God never gives authority without accountability. You want authority? You want a position of leadership? It comes with accountability. It comes with responsibility. It's not, give me the authority, give me the position so I can somehow get notary and money and position and power and all, and I don't have to do anything. That's not how it works. Not under God's rules and not ways, not anyway. So he's reminding them there's going to be a heaviness upon you because it's going to fact that you're in this position. Moses had authority from God, but he also had accountability. Aaron, you have authority and now you have accountability. The people of Israel, they have the authority, but also they have accountability and responsibility to lead. In verses 2 through 7, we see that the Levites are God's chosen helpers to the priestlyhood, Aaron and his sons, who were doing the priestly work. Remember, they both come from the tribe of Levites, but under the tribe of Levites, it was separated. There was an Aaron, uh, Aaron's lineage would be the priests. The rest of the Levites would be assistant pastors or assistants in helping them with doing the priestly work. But they couldn't do anything at the, uh, at the altar. They couldn't go inside to the Holy of Holies or the holy uh, place. They, are, they were the ones carrying as they moved for the tabernacle from place A to place B. The priestlyhood, Aaron and his sons, would cover all the holy articles. But the, other, the rest of the Levites would come in and they would carry it from point A to point B. They would sit up, tear down. They had responsibilities assisting the priests. But they were not the priests. They were assisting in doing the work that God wanted them to do. They weren't in charge and leaders of what they needed to do. They just took direction. That's what verses 2 through 7 it was about. It was the fact that God appointed these tribe of Levi, these brethren, to come and then join and to serve the priests Aaron and his sons in doing the work. But note down there a couple of verses. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of sanctuary and the altar lest they die. But notice that not only will they die, they and you also. Oh, that's some seriousness. That means Aaron, you and your sons, better not allow them to come in and do any of your work. You have to do the work. They come in and touch any of this, not only will they die, but you will also die because you allowed them to do your work. That is not to happen. And that takes us all the way through 2 through, two through 7. And it's the same thing in regards to the New Testament. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. In the same way, the New Testament says that we have all different parts of the body, each particular gifts and callings. God in the New Testament, the church body, all God appoints and brings people into this church, all have roles and responsibilities that God has. Everyone, not everyone can be the thumb. Not everyone can be the pinky. Not everyone can be the, the mouthpiece or the, or the body or the legs. Everyone has a role and responsibility based on how God gave you spiritual gifts as a child of God to benefit the body as a whole. But you're, not everyone's going to be the leader of that body. 
God is the one called of that person to be the senior pastor or the pastor that oversees the people. He then brings assistant pastors to help shepherd and minister and, and help the pastor minister to the people. And then the people all have roles and responsibilities to take care of the things within the body. That's godly designed. And, and sometimes people have a problem not being able to do a position within the body that they want. They envy and they covet certain positions and they think, why, why can't anyone do that? I can do that. I can do it better than you. I'm more holier than you. I'm more spiritual than you. I know more about... It doesn't matter what you think. It only matters who God has appointed, who has a calling. You should be content the fact that God would even use you and call you to do the things that he's called you to do. Be content. Be thankful. But now, people who murmur and complain are always envying things, always looking like a climbing the, some kind of ladder in the, in the church organization, just like in my corporate organization. It's not how it works. You don't know the scriptures. Keep showing up. Keep reading. You'll grow and mature and, and you'll, your heart will change and your mind will change to be in line with what the scripture says versus you're leaning on your own understanding. And that's how it works. Verses 8 through 20, we see that these privileges of the firstborn is devoted in portions. He gets into the uh, of, of what is to come to Aaron and his sons for the positions that he's in. He's, notice here in verse 8, it says, The Lord spoke to Aaron and he says, Here I myself, this is God speaking, I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings and all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. So he says, because you're in a position of authority, Aaron, you're going to also have the responsibility to take care of my, God's, heave offerings. All the offerings, all the gifts and offerings, all the, the things that the, the people of, of, of God's people are supposed to bring to God as a form of worship. All of the resources, you're going to be held responsible to take care of a portion of that. Because I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. So he says, as you, these come in, you're going to get a portion of it. Why? Because as we look down through these verses 8 through 20, they are not able to have any inheritance. The people of the other tribes got land. They got inheritance by getting this land. Not the Levites. The Levites were only given portions of what the other people brought into the tabernacle. And they got a portion of it. They didn't get an inheritance of it. That's how they were provided for by people bringing their gifts to God and a portion of that being able to be used to take care of Aaron and his kids and the other Levites. But if you notice there, he's... Um, you have to watch over these, Aaron, take care of these things as they bring in the grain, they bring in the offerings. All of these things for all the different offerings that we studied in Leviticus in the first part of Numbers. All of these things will be brought into you. You're supposed to watch over those. Even all the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grains and the first fruits which uh, they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, that which they uh, bring to the Lord shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing of Israel shall be yours. Everything that first opens the womb of all the flesh, which they bring to the Lord, uh, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless... The firstborn of man you shall surely redeem. Now, if you go down a little bit further, it goes into the first about the firstborn, and there are certain things that, like the cow and the sheep and the goat, shall not be redeemed. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet smelling, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then at the very end there, then it says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in this land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. So, summarizing here for 8 through 20, we see that the heave offering were brought to God as part of a peace offering, 
We see that in Leviticus and Exodus. The Nazarite consecration offering, the thanksgiving offering, the heave offering, the, the choice uh, portion of the animal, that, which was the breast and the thigh, that all, even the wave offering, Everything was brought to the Lord, but they got to partake of that. That's how they were fed. That's how their families were fed is through that portion that the people brought as an offering to God. Now, every offering of theirs, the priests also received a portion of the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the gifts of oil, wine. This is how they were able to survive as priests and doing the work of God in the tabernacle. Now, when you take a think about that, it's living by faith because what happens is you're trusting that God's putting on the hearts of the people to be consistently bringing as God's commanded them to freely give and to give their portion. And from that work that you're doing, God, that's how God provides for you. And I pulled out some scriptures here I think is very important. Because it talks about your portion and your inheritance from God. Some of the verses is this. What a precious place to say that the Lord is my portion. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Psalm 16.5 My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73.26 I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Psalm 142.5 See, when God is our portion, He is our inheritance, our hope, our promise, our future. Who we trust for our future, eternal future, is God is our portion. We are satisfied in Him and Him alone. And since we are all royal priesthood as believers, we see that in 1 Peter 2.9, we all have the Lord as our portion. And it's important that you see God as your all in all. People so many times are looking for so many different relationships and different achievements and different events and experiences. All they need to do is to draw near to God and God will draw near to you. To cry out to him and he will give to you what you need. He's your portion. He's your what fulfills your life. Nothing and no one else is going to complete your life or fill your life. It's only that relationship with God's going to do that. And once you realize that, once you understand that, And that developing of that relationship with Christ, you will fully understand that God is your portion. He will meet your needs. In verses 21 through 24, we see tithe or tenth is given to the Levites. And it's important for them to, that's a a commandment. That's not an option. That's a commandment. It says, behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform. Notice that. This wasn't just, they're going to bring their their money, their resources, a tenth of their resources just because. No, God says, you're going to bring it to me, which is going to be the inheritance in return for the work they perform, work they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die, but the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And thou shalt bear their iniquity, and it shall be a statue forever uh, throughout your generation and among the children of Israel, and they shall have no inheritance for the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as a heath offering to the Lord. Notice that. When you bring your tithe in, he's telling them, remember, this goes to me, the Lord. Then the Lord then gives to the priests, to the Levites, as a portion to sustain them. Why? Because they're doing a work for God, which is for the people, by doing it to the people. I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I I have said to them among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Again, it's a reminder. They're not going to bet on an inheritance to live forever. 
They're truly living the rest of their lives based on what God provides from what the people bring God as a, as a, as a sacrifice or as a tithe to God. Sometimes bring your gifts. It's, in this case, it's not the gifts that they're getting because they're actually getting paid for the work they're doing. It's not just a gift. It's, it's actually they're getting paid for the work they're doing. It comes from God. God's paying them. When an Israelite was had not giving their tithe, they were not robbing the Levites. They weren't going, I'm not giving my tithe to the tabernacle today. What they're saying is, I'm not giving up my tithes to God because it was God's money. They weren't robbing the Levites. They weren't robbing the priests. They were robbing God. And we see that clearly in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Why? Because, because God received the tithe from the giver and then he gave it to the Levite for doing the work of serving the people. Sometimes some people, even today, think that tithe, since it went to support the Levites, who were in sense government workers, right? They were, they were hired in ancient Israel to do the work. It covered by government taxes of today. And that free will giving mentioned in the Old Testament answers the New Testament emphasis on giving. But that's not true. We can say that the New Testament nowhere specifically commands tithing. But it certainly does speak in a positive light if it is done with the right heart. That's emphasized with Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But it's also important, many times people say, well, I don't have to tithe because it's not in the New Testament. But again, you have to know the whole, the whole, all the scripture because even the tithe was not established under the law. It was established under the very beginning with Abraham giving a tithe demonstrated to Melchizedek. So it's important to understand that the tithe is not a principle dependent on the Mosaic law. It is dependent upon, as we in, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 5 through 9, explains that the tithe was practiced and honored by God before the law of Moses was even coming about. But what does the New Testament say about tithing? That's what, what people want to know. Well, let me give it to you. Emphasizes the first Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, and 2 Corinthians 9. It's a principle of giving to God is still absolutely accurate. When you bring your tithes into the church, you're not giving it to the church. If you're giving it as a form of worship and a commandment to God. But you're supposed to do it not based on so much the number the tenth of percent, it is based on the fact that God says, are you, as the scripture says, giving should be regular, planned, proportional, private, and it must be generous, freely given, and cheerful. Those are the elements of determining how you give to God in a church of the New Testament. And since the New Testament doesn't emphasize tithing, one might not be strict to say you must give a tenth. But matter of fact, in the New Testament, it is, that is a starting point, is the tenth. He might ask you to actually give more than a tenth of, of, of all the, of your income coming in. Or he looks and says, if you can't give regularly or planned or proportional and, and generous and freely and cheerfully, he might put on your heart only 5% you could, you could, you're willing to do that at this point. Because you're not mature. You're not growing yet. Some people may not even be able to give in the very beginning. That's why it's between you and God. Just be obedient to what God shows you. That's really the emphasis. And whatever that is, can you give it cheerfully? Can you freely give it? Can it a form of worship of God? Are you planning it? Are you proportional? Or is it just, just one of those little emotional kind of moments like, eh, I feel like maybe giving it this time. That's between you and God. That's the beauty of it. Because you're not taking away from the church. You're not taking away from the pastor. 
you're, it, that you're just taking away God's portion that he's trying to tell you to give to him. And that's between you and God. Sometimes the question is, how little can I give and still please God is always the question. You, know, you may not be saying that. How much can I give just just please God just enough? If you say that, it's just to understand your heart's just not right yet. You haven't completely surrendered God and, and stopped looking for that, that, that line, like, okay, am I still pleasing God if I can do it just enough? It's never, walking out on the line on the edge is never a good thing uh, from a Christian. Again, we're not under the tithe. We're actually to give more. Freely. Give financial. See, giving and financial management is a spiritual issue. It's not just a financial one. God instills this, the fact that we need to learn to be a giving heart, not a taking heart. And that's true across every aspect of our relationship. And God knows how finances can be show how selfish we are and not giving to God. And that just reveals us. Again, Luke 16, 11. You know, it's interesting. Paul presents the same principles for ministers when it comes to the people bringing the tithe to God, who then God then appoints to pay or to, uh, per, you know, to, to take care of those who are ministering to his people. Paul addressed it in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 14, yet shows that when a, it is better for the gospel and the right way and willing way laid down for God's glory is, is that principle of, of, of ministers to just trusting in God, your provision for them to serve God's people uh, freely and, and joyfully without having to have everything, inheritance and everything else planned out for them. They, they, they're just serving God and trusting God in their provision. But the, also the same thing is that in ministry, you have to understand, lots of people go, what do you do as a pastor? What do you do as a minister to the people? You just sit around and just do nothing? What do you do, right? And many times people can get into this thing where you, can, you get into the ministry as a job. It's not a job. It's a calling. Yes, you do work. It's a job, and you do work. There's a lot of things you do to minister to people. But what's interesting is there's this pendulum. Even in the ministry, you have to be very careful because sometimes people get in the ministry with the wrong, wrong objective. They think, I'll get in the ministry, and I don't have to do anything. You're kind of like a lazily, you can be lazy in the ministry and have a job and get paid, and, and it's kind of, you don't have to do anything. But that's not true. Once you're in the ministry, you understand. You, you can't even accomplish everything unless you have God uh, working in and through you. But some people get in with the wrong idea and say, you know, okay, I'm going to be in the ministry, but the pastor or the priest or the bishop or whatever the title you have, they need to, we need to make sure they don't get very much because they need to, what they refer to as, they need to, our pastor needs to live humbly and poor, and barely making it by, almost in poverty. That's not scriptural. Nor should the pastor live so far above the people, and rich and lavish, and have the, the, the better than anybody else in his congregation. That's not scriptural either. And so, as we take a look at this, it's just so important you understand, God's working in and through all of this. You freely give to Him as a form of worship. Then God appoints godly people to appropriately compensate for the pastors and the pastor and the pastor's work of ministering, and they should be working hard for God's people. Verses 25 through 32, we see the, uh, the Levites tithe, that... The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you, from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer a heave offering of, of it to the Lord, a tenth of, uh, of, the, of the tithe. So not only do the people bring a tenth to God, 
God says, then you must, as I give to you, you take a tenth of what I give to you, you give back to God. So even the assistant pastors, those who are Levites who are supporting the priests, were to also give a tithe back to God as a form of worship and a commandment. And he makes that very clear. It says, you, even further down there, it says, You shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes, which you received from the children of Israel, and you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron and the priests. As you continue down through here, even though, as you read down through this, it doesn't say that the priests are to give a tithe back but you have to assume that they were also were to give back to God only because that is the pattern and the priests are still dealing with God's uh, uh, giving and God's provision and they're to show a form of worship and give back. Even though it doesn't say that they do, you have to assume that they, are to, they were giving back to God as well for what God has given them for the work that they're doing. And finally, of all your gifts, you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord. So not only as you look and read through that, the people giving to God, God distributing out to the Levites who supported the priests, the priests were receiving from this, they didn't receive the inheritance, the people got land, they got inheritance, they had an establishment, they just freely served God and gave God whatever God gave, whatever the people put on the hearts of people to give that tithe, then they gave it to them and they gave back to God, all of that worked out. But we also know in the scripture here, uh, around the third year, the priests, the Levites, were also to take care of the poor. And you see all kinds of things that we've studied through um, Leviticus and, and Numbers, and we'll study it in Deuteronomy as well. All this thing about the tenth, the tithe, the tithe, the tithe, the tithe, and portion, 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 and making sure people were taken care of through the provision that God provided the people. Again, we always have to remember, where did the people even get the food? Where did they even get the resources? God. It's God's stuff. It's God's money. It's God's resources. It's God's provision through the grain and all the wine and all the things. They were to give a tithe back to God. God then gave it and used it to support the people, ministering to the people, spiritual ministry to the people, leading the people, and also for them to take that and take care of the poor who could not provide for themselves. Even including, you don't take and mow down your entire field. You leave the edges so that they can glean from the edges to provide food and stuff for the people. So God understood how it all worked out beautifully. The, the question always comes down, are the people going to do what God told them to do as a form of worship? That's what it all comes down. God has it all planned out. He has figured it all out. The question is, is your heart right and doing it God's way? It's your responsibility. It is your responsibility. And the Levites and the priests had a very key responsibility. We take that responsibility very seriously here. And anything that the Lord brings in here through the people, it is used for the ministry. It's used to take care of the people, provide a place to minister to the, to, to, to the lost, encourage those in the faith to reach across. Whatever the Lord uses that money, that money is used wisely. And so, you, again, to please God in all the resources that he provides. And he has miraculously provided for us here at Calvary Chapel, North Country. So that kind of wraps up verses chapter 17 and 18 regarding the authority and responsibility uh, for the leaders of God's leaders here, of Aaron and his sons, but also the rest of the Levites and the responsibility to the people.